here's the thing. I think it, the best thing you can ever give somebody is to empower them with tools to create the change themselves. These are tools that you can take away for a lifetime. It's not something that you do once though. Like I think we need to understand that, you know, this is a constant, as long as you're alive, you can be feeding input back to your nervous system. And what a beautiful thing that you can do that yourself, that you can heal yourself, that you can regulate yourself. I'm Sarah Gustafson. I am Dr. Jacob Egbert. I'm Mark Groves. I'm James Goodlatte, and this is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. Welcome back the podcast everybody this is episode 146 my guests today are doctors monique andrews and tamara mcintyre they are both chiropractors they are power a powerhouse uh, dynamic duo who i first heard about through my training with birthfit to become a birthfit leader and coach and um god dr dr mo was on the you gave a webinar there and i was like this is incredible. Like I had heard a lot about polyvagal theory, but the practical applications to what um, we do in women's health, I think is just so um, understated, underappreciated. So I feel like this is this type of uh, complex framework uh, around the human nervous system is really where it's at. I think this is going to take us a huge leap forward. Um, of course, they're drawing from the work of Stephen Porges of the Polyvagal Institute, but these two um, women have such a uh, such a gift for simplifying some of these otherwise very very hard things into basic exercises and basic um, sort of models for understanding how the nervous system impacts your immune health, how it impacts the development of your baby, co-regulation between mother and the baby and father and the baby and father and the mother. This is really, really important work. You're going to love this interview. If you want to learn uh, more about Dr. Mo and Dr. Max's work, go to the um, pranafoundation.org. That's pranafound.org and their new program, which provides a, which is a, really a platform for mindfulness and embodiment exercises. That is cope, let's cope dot org. You're going to love their work. I recommend going and just buying all of their programs. It's a couple hundred dollars per program. It is the best, you know, 1200 bucks that you're ever going to spend. I promise you that I've done almost all of them. I didn't realize that there was a couple extra that had been hiding from me, but I am uh, very, very stoked for you to hear this interview. This podcast is a, an effort to provide uh, public facing free education on a variety of topics that pertain to women's health, the health of families, health of children, um, embodying, you know, beautiful births, etc. So I hope you find something valuable here. If anything pings your your interest in this episode, please um, share these episodes with your friend, leave a five-star review if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. It really means a lot, actually, rising in the ratings, getting more of these conversations to the people that need to hear them. Um, 
it's completely free to support us in those ways. And if you haven't um, checked out the YouTube channel, go there. It's the Holistic OBGYN podcast on YouTube. You can see Doctors Mo and Mac in the flesh, as well as every other guest, all the amazing guests that I managed to to wrangle up for this uh, <laughs> for my little podcast over here. Of course, we do always have a couple sponsors. I'm going to be moving towards a relatively sponsor-free podcast in the very near future. In fact, by the time you hear this, there may only be one or two or just one <laughs> sponsor. And that sponsor that is definitely sticking around is the one who made, um, in part, made this episode possible. That's Immune Intel HCC. This is a whole food supplement that has been well studied in rodent and in human trials in order to support people with liver disease, renal disease, autoimmune conditions, um, treatment-resistant treatment epilepsy, and of course, persistent HPV. They've done in vivo trials that have shown that women who have been unable to clear HPV have taken this for four to six months and they're seeing a massive change in their immune health and um, their ability to clear the HPV, show up at their next OBGYN clinic and be completely you know, worry-free about persistent HPV leading to cervical dysplasia and ultimately, if nothing is done in the meantime, to cervical cancer. So the way that, this, that these supplements work is, well, first off, they're made from the mycelia of shiitake mushrooms and they boost your NK and T cells. They boost the interconnectivity amongst your entire immune system in order for you to better integrate the message of viruses and to kick precancerous or even early cancer cells to the curb. I love this product. That's why I'm keeping them on as a sponsor. I, I, there's so little conversation around what can be done to support your immune system so much so that if you get a persistent, um, let's say you get an HPV screen that's positive or an abnormal pap smear, your doctor says nothing more but, hey, come back in six to 12 months and we'll repeat it. And if, if something's wrong, then we'll talk about that when you get there. Well, what are you supposed to do in the meantime? You can work on your diet, your lifestyle, your movement, your sleep, your stress management, your hydration, your breathing. All of those things are relevant in some directed supplementation with a product like Immune Intel HCC is doing wonders for my clients and the co-creator of a new program I've got coming out this month. Um, in fact, the doors open in a couple days called Clear and Free, Your Holistic Solution to Persistent HPV. If you want to learn more about that, go to clearhpv.com. You'll find the program there. You can join in on the next cohort. Um, we talk a lot about immune intel, but also a lot of the other lifestyle factors, as well as demystifying can cervical cancer screening, this whole virus HPV thing in the first place, the immune system vaccines, etc. It's all there. So go check out clearhpv.com. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Immune Intel, for continuing to support the show. Of course, there's a variety of other products out there that can help you um, improve your health, including Organifi, BirthFit, Bioptimizers, um, Weenatal as a prenatal vitamin. All of these are really, really helpful adjuvants, and there's nothing quite like Immune Intel for those of you who are struggling with autoimmune conditions, um, uh, nervous system disorders, or persistent HPV. So clearhpv.com and go support immune, immune Intel HCC. If you use code beloved10 at themedicine.com, um, that's T-H-E-M-E-D-I-C-I-N.com, you'll get 10% off your purchase. Um, and when you enroll in uh, clearhpv at, at clearhpv.com into our new clear and free program, you get your first bottle free. So go and do those things. In the meantime, here's my lovely conversation with Dr. Monique Andrews and Dr. Tamara McIntyre of pranafound.org and letscope.org. Enjoy, guys.
Here we are. All right, doctors, Monique Andrews and Dr. Tamara McIntyre, welcome. Welcome. It's good to see you. Thanks, Nathan. Excited to be here. We'll try not to talk over each other. Uh, yeah, well, it, it's just a part of the it's the, the nature of the beast here. You guys are in your in your home at the same p- property, but in different rooms. And you know, there's three very very chatty Cathy's here. So, so if we talk over one another a little bit, that's okay. Um, guys, I found your work through BirthFit. Actually, I I, I heard Doctor um, Doctor Mo. I heard you uh, you gave a talk on polyvagal, and I was like, I gotta get more into this because I've thought of the nervous system as two separate components. There's a brake pedal and there's an accelerator, and that hasn't that framework hasn't really served me well. But then I went to your website, which is pranafound.org. If anybody out there is curious, these courses are so well worth your time. They're short, they're sweet, and they're right to the point. You started talking about like the in utero development of the autonomic nervous system, and my head just about fell off. Because it's something that we think about as OBGYNs, but now you're giving me some practical applications of some of this as well. So why don't we start first with this polyvagal theory? You know, people were talking about this. Stephen Porges kind of set the groundwork, I think, at least in North America. Can you guys talk a little bit about what, um, first off, you guys are both chiropractors as well, right? So, so you have a, a clinician yeah. sort of view here. This is not just all theoretical mechanisms and whatnot. This is stuff you actually put into practice. So maybe um, why don't you start, Dr. Mack? I, I'm just picking, you know, randomly here. Tell us a little bit about, you know, this polyvagal theory and how it may contrast with this very, very maybe over oversimplistic view of the nervous system of a gas pedal and a brake pedal. Yeah, it's interesting because there's a lot of misconceptions associated with the autonomic nervous system. And so, you know, the more common explanation is that there's essentially two parts and that it's exactly that. It's either on or off. And the reality is that's not actually what we know to be the case anymore. And so it's not just about an on or off. There's actually you know, a sequential way with which our nervous system works. And it's a really beautiful synergy. And so, you know, historically, and you still see it, it's all over social media where there's this conversation associated with, we're going to bring people into the parasympathetic. It's called polyvagal for a reason because it actually has two parts. It's not just the sympathetic or, you know, it's not that classic kind of rest and digest or you're running from the tiger. And so what's really important for people to understand is that there are newer branches that we now know and understand. And that it's really, really um, important to understand, especially as a clinician, what that means for your patients to be at, you know, how people are responding in the world um, is actually a byproduct of their nervous system. And it's a byproduct of their experience. And so ultimately, the autonomic nervous system is really a hypersensitive system. And it records our experiences. And that becomes the way our nervous system actually engages in the world. That's the polyvagal part that a lot of people um, are experiencing but not understanding because of the oversimplistic way we've historically talked about the nervous system. Dr. Mo, autonomic ladder. Can you just describe that? And then maybe we'll throw it back to you, Dr. Mack. I'm doing my best here to, to moderate two very intelligent people being in the room together. So you'll have to bear with me, guys. Um, uh, so this polyvagal theory leads us to these illustrations that you see all over the internet, the autonomic ladder. Maybe yeah. you can describe this, Dr. Mo. And then Dr. Mack, why don't we throw it back to you and you can use it you know, from your clinical insights. How can you identify as a clinician or even as just an individual listening where you might fall in that ladder? 
um, given your certain, you know, your specific life circumstances, past history, past traumas, perhaps? Yeah. So the autonomic nervous system, essentially, from an evolutionary perspective, develops through these different branches or what Porges called neural platforms. And so we have the sympathetic, everybody knows is the fight or flight. And then the vagus, of course, splits, hence the name polyvagal. And within that, we have ventral vagal and dorsal vagal. And so we have these three phylogenetically organized platforms. They call it a ladder because at the top of the platform, if you've seen, if you, if you search polyvagal theory, you're going to get a picture of these three funny little dudes in that are red, <laughs> green, and yellow. And the green yeah. guy's at the top of the ladder. That's like the, I'm the king of the world, queen of the world, super connected, highly, par high parasympathetic tone. And this is where healing happens. This is yeah. the, you feel love and connected to the rest of the world state. This is where it, people think, oh, if we could just be here all the time. Of course we can't, we're dynamic systems. Once, it, let's say you're in an environment and your brain at all times is surveilling and what it's looking for is safety. Safety is our most important human need. So the brain is always looking, is the environment safe or not? If it's safe, everything's great. You're the queen of the world. You're green, ventral vagal. If you're not, that, then if there's a threat, what your brain does is immediately drops out of the prefrontal cortex down into the amygdala and you go into fight or flight. This is a normal evolutionary response. You want this to happen, mm -hmm. right? You just, what you don't want to happen is to get stuck there, which is ha what happens a lot right now yeah. is that people are getting stuck in this loop of fight or flight. Now let's say that the threat goes beyond just um, uh, difficulty or danger, but drops deep into life threat. That's mm. when you see people drop into what's called the dorsal vagal. That's the red zone. That's the freeze or fawn response, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So top of the ladder, that is a freedom, friends, and forage. Sympathetic is fight or flight. And then dorsal is freeze or fawn. And what Dr. Mack can tell you about is how as a clinician, you can actually learn to identify those different stages and then be very prescriptive in how you help people get out of them. Yeah. So Dr. Mack, let's throw it back to you. But before we do, I, I think it's important to consider that we're not just talking about being out in the savannah and being chased by a lion. We're actually talking about every one of our life circumstances um, from the color of our skin to how we identify sexually, you know, through sexual orientation, through even like the interactions that we have on a regular basis because of some deformity or something that makes us feel unseen or maybe not beautiful in the world, that these can lead us you know, along this ladder such that we might even end up with health consequences as a result of a person living more or less in the dorsal vagal. This is what chronic stress, I think, maybe kind of brings, you know, up in our clinical practices. So, um, you know, from an, an OBGYN standpoint, what, what I love to say is that, hey, if we can take some accountability for how we show up in the world, and so a lot of these tools that we're going to talk about today are, are very much... Um, accessible to us, but at the same time, we have to consider systemic change so that we have a more inclusive, less divisive um, uh, society. And right now, post-COVID, I don't really feel like there's much safety anywhere. Everybody kind of wants you to feel unsafe about things. So um, Dr. Mack, you're up. You're up to plate here. Um, how do we, you know, how do we, I, I think most of us know when we're in ventral vagal, like that's when you are you're having the best sex. You're most connected with your partner. Your you and your kids are just jiving and flowing, but that's not where most of us live. So maybe you can help people identify a little bit from a clinician's lens 
How do you really identify this before we start applying maybe some principles in order to help balance our nervous system? Sure. Um, what I would say to you is what you just described yeah. is we all know what connection feels like, or we know when we can make, you know, when we feel safe. I mean, one of the things I hear a lot right now is people saying that they create safety, they create a safe space. Um, and the reality is you can hold a space, but everybody's going to enter and it may or may not feel safe based on their previous experience. And so, you know, my course correct for people is you're not creating the safety. We are responsible for creating our own safety and how we feel in an environment is a byproduct of how we have felt and are feeling and how we're presenting. And so, Something you know, when that. you say that me, we all know what that, that feels you, like. you were Dr. Mo had said What's this that? in one of your programs. I've done all of your programs now because I'm obsessed with you guys, but <laughs> The, the uh, um, real quickly, I think it was maybe Porges or it was one of you guys that had said, you know, you, you're not responsible for your physiology, but you are responsible for the circumstances that sort of unfold as res as a response to that physiology. Do you want to maybe refine that a little bit, and then, uh, and then of course dive in, of course, to to how we can identify where we're falling on this ladder. Yeah, I always say that your biology is not your fault but it is your responsibility. And you know, the beautiful thing about that ladder I was just describing is all of those platforms are available to all of us at all times, but we do tend to get stuck in them. Yeah. And understanding that from a clinician's perspective, I think what that really does is it allows us to be much more compassionate. You know, we've all had that hyper vigilant patient come into our office where they're just a million questions and objecting and they, they just can't, be cool. They can't be calm. And, be cool. and that's cool. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's going to be all right. And and that's not enough to say it's going to be okay. Uh, because when somebody's in that hyper vigilant fight or flight state, they feel unsafe. Yeah. And that really speaks to what Tamara was saying about, mm -hmm. you, you know, saying that you create a safe space. I'm glad you have that in mind. But, you know, you, unless you give people the tools to feel more safe in their neurology, you just telling them it's a safe space, uh, I mean, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. You know, what you described is, you know, people knowing when they feel comfortable, knowing when they feel connected, knowing when they can accept love, where they trust, you know, the environment that they're in. You know, in the polyvagal theory, they refer to that as a glimpse. We all get that glimpse. And so, you know, we saw, you know, patients on our table where, you know, at the end of the visit, you know, or even just as part of the visit, is that big deep sigh. Those are clinical signs that somebody is actually settling into a state of calm. But we can look at their body, how they're storing muscles, how they're posturing. We can look at their face. We can listen to the sound of their voice. You know, we know that when somebody's really upset, the voice goes up, you know, and, and we can we can use that as a clinical assessment. And so you know, are they able to hold eye contact when they're actually telling us about, you know, their history or what they're feeling or, you know, what that actually looks like? How quickly are they moving? Are they slow moving? You know, I sort of joke when I'm teaching chiropractors, it's like, yeah. well, how slowly do they get off the yeah. table? You know, um, how do they respond to your work? And so there are ways with which we can look at all of those things, eye contact, how their body and muscles, how do they respond to your touch? How do they, you know, what does their facial expression look like? Um, are they able to, are we actually able to read their emotions or is it a flat affect and they tell us that they're really happy from and a really simple perspective, you know, one easy yeah. way to, to figure out the platform somebody's in or which of those states are they mobilized? 
right? Mm -hmm. That's a sympathetic. Now, mm -hmm. if they're mobilized and happy, play, sex, art, dance, that's ventral, vagal, and sympathetic together. If they're mobilized and unhappy, that's sympathetic. And if they're immobilized mm. and unhappy, that's a dorsal vagal. Now, there's another state, it's called a hybrid state, where you are immobilized and happy. That's called bliss. That's mm. meditation. Um, that's, a, that's a cool experience. And most people, when they think about polyvagal, they see the red, the green, and the little blue dude, and that's it. But there are these hybrid blended states that we really dive deep into in our um, applied polyvagal class so that you can give people the tools for a deeper understanding and to be able to drop into these other states. It's also important. There's a concept that's referred to as a window of tolerance. And I think in general, we all kind of have an idea of like, you know, my window of tolerance has gotten smaller in the last number of years, or life has created this smaller, you know, sort of, and a window of tolerance is really our ability to self-regulate our ability to feel calm in different environments. And so what happens, you know, and when you really understand the platforms, then the ultimate goal becomes expanding yeah. that window of tolerance. It becomes that when there is a challenge, you know, we talk about those individual states where you can be, you know, aggressive and, you know, defensive in your accommodation. And so that is actually one platform is the individuals that when they're outside of their window of tolerance, yeah. they become hyper aroused, right? And then there's the people who, when they're outside of their window of tolerance or when there's the tipping point and the cup is overflowing, they go into shutdown. They become very passive and that's a defensive accommodation as well. And I think when people understand and even your ability to kind of, you know, quickly assess, like, what, what do you naturally do when you're threatened? When, you know, when you are in an environment that's really uncomfortable, do you feel your physiology? Does it actually, you know, elevate to such an extent that you feel uncomfortable? Or do you basically, or do you just sort of right. slip into the back of yeah. the room? Do you, do and you again, not I think participate? It's, it's so really important those are to know that your tendency to be in these platforms is not conscious all of this is happening below the level of consciousness and so people get stuck and then they you know they're not compassionate with themselves for their behavior but your your neurology drives your behavior then that behavior starts to drive uh emotion and then we're human so we make up a story about it and usually you know very often that story involves blaming yourself for something uh, and these yeah. are just tools to help you understand that's not the way it works yeah, I, I think, um, you know, the crowd that's listening, many of them are, are also sort of aware that we, you know, we take our nervous system for granted, but this takes time to develop, right? And then it, it, it fluctuates as we become adults and we have all these stressors, you know, adulting um, that really, really impact how we're able to show up in the world. And, and I, I want to also, you know, I try to hold compassion for my OBGYN colleagues, but most people working in hospitals are living in a state of either sympathetic or dorsal vagal. Yeah. They're not really able to connect because they don't even feel safe themselves. They're worried about litigation. They're worried about the administrators and, you know, how they're coding and all of this. It takes away from the work of being with a person and really being able to be sort of connected heart to heart. Um, and if you don't feel safe, right, like you guys have said, you can't connect. So um, one really important topic for me, I've got two little girls of my own, has been the co-regulation between my wife and our daughters and me and, my, and, our, and our daughters, but especially those moments after birth when a baby emerges earthside 
And in the hospital system, we strip the baby away, we dry them off, we give them shots, we put them under these bright lights and masks and all this other stuff. It's probably very scary for them when really what they most need is to be as close to their mother's heart as possible, feeling her breath, um, the mother ease, the, these types of things. So of course, when a baby comes out, there's this evolving nervous system. But even inside the uterus, before there's the what we would call like the you know the the motheries the you know skin to skin and all of that the baby's nervous system is developing can you talk a little bit about the development of this autonomic ladder and then maybe we can even talk a little bit about heart rate variability because we're using this yeah. in adults now but we've used it it's not very well validated but we use heart rate variability a lot in monitoring a baby's um, distress levels I mean there it is right there so let's talk about how this these three um, you know yeah simple platforms develop inside the uterus and then the role of co-regulation afterwards in order to keep this baby alive and yes there's quite a bit of science around it now actually yeah. nathan and you know the first thing to develop of course in the whole system is the nervous system and that sort of drives the rest of the show so around four to six weeks the dorsal vagal system starts to develop and then at around 14 weeks then the sympathetics come on and most people may or may not know this but babies are born in a sympathetic dominant state. It's actually what drives a lot of growth is that yeah. they're born in this sympathetic Look dominant state. Rate. 160 yeah. beats per minute is the upper rate of normal. Exactly. So we're in sympathetic overdrive yep. there. And in fact, there's some data to suggest that babies who are born prematurely, if they are born pre before 30 weeks, which is the point when the sympathetic nervous system is fully developed, there's a risk of them dropping into bradycardia. Now remember dorsal vagal is immobilization. So we go into basic survival and the heart rate can drop too low. And this is one of the theories around SIDS actually. Yeah. So around the 30 weeks are, are, are more likely to die. Sudden infant death syndrome is more likely to take place with preterm babies, not just because of lung development and everything, but also you're saying because their nervous system is actually not fully capable of, of managing itself out of the uterus, yeah. right? Because yeah. what's supposed to happen is dorsal develops first, then mm -hmm. sympathetic comes on and it's supposed to override dorsal. Yeah, yeah, yep. wow. And if it doesn't, then we have a problem. Now next is ventral vagal, that happy connected state where homeostasis creates healing and the thriving organism. That starts around 30 weeks and continues, this is really important, continues at a really high rate of, to myelinate, to fully mature the vagus nerve, the ventral part of the vagus nerve, to about six months. And then even into the first two years of life. So this is when the co-regulation becomes key. And it's actually those co-regulation behaviors that really help to promote the growth and evolution of that ventral vagal state. Now, people think that this is more of a, an emotional, psychological thing, but what we now know from neuroscience is suckling, feeding, the contact between mom and baby or dad and baby or skin-to-skin -skin contact is really important. And we actually see there's an upregulation of oxytocin. Most people have heard of the hormone oxytocin, totally love well. hormone or whatever. Well, we used to think that it required skin to skin. And while that will create the highest peak in oxytocin, actually even just the sound of the mother's voice in particular. Now, so what happens when we have a mom whose nervous system is dysregulated, we're more likely to have a baby whose nervous system is dysregulated. Now that's not to blame the mom because what we said five minutes ago is your physiology is not your fault. But if you are dysregulated, 
you can create dysregulation for those around you. And we particularly see this in the mother-infant bonding. And we can now actually trace the neuroscience back to the vagus nerve, which mm -hmm. is why this polyvagal thing is so, so critical. Because you'll see when there's a good emotional bond between mom and baby, you see high levels of not just oxytocin, but high vagal tone. We want that. When there is a poor bond that's usually created from a dysregulated nervous system, you actually see that you'll create a, a pro-inflammatory vagus signaling. You'll see excited toxicity in the brain. This lowers vagal tone, lowers oxytocin, and then you don't get that thriving co-regulation, which poor just literally says co-regulation is a biological imperative. We need it. So when we have dysfunctional, disruptive, sometimes even violent birth situations where we don't have that time that's necessary, that's given, that's when we see a lot of disruption. I know that was a long answer, but no, I, I want to add to that because it, I, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to find things to push back on, and I, I don't have a lot because you guys finally have given me language to really start to describe even the sim the simple differences between a home birth environment and a hospital environment. You know, our little, our second little girl, she was born at home with on my wife's chest moments after the portal opened and the, the portal closed. It was like a 90 minute labor. It was like the dream birth. And she was on her chest moments after, and there was no sound in the room. The lights are low. Contrast that with most hospital births. And you already can see how this might lead to dysregulation for the rest of this kid's life, unless we're very, very attuned to what's happening in the, the, the ambiance of the birth space. So, to not put a baby right on the mother's chest to me seems almost like an act of violence. And that yeah. may seem like hyperbole, but we're like, look at our world. Everybody's depressed and anxious and violent. What if we were to change the world by changing birth? I mean, that's one of my big advocacy pieces. So you're finally giving language to so many people, I think, to try to appreciate what the neuroscience actually tells us. If we, Even if we were to look at it strictly materialistically, there's actually quite an abundance of, of science now to help back us back us up. And, and guys, the science has never settled. This is an evolving thing. If somebody tells you the science is settled, run in the opposite direction. That's not how science works. This is evolving. And um, I'm glad it is. So Dr. Mack, did you want to add anything to that? And maybe you can talk a little bit about heart rate uh, variability monitoring, HRV monitoring, because you described the orange, or sorry, the, the green, the, the yellow, and the red, which sounds a whole lot like the... Uh, the um, heart math technologies and whatnot. So I don't know if there's a coincidence there, but um, Dr. Mack, you want to add anything or riff on anything there? Um, I was just going to say, you know, coming back to what we started, you know, this part of this conversation was that um, I think a lot of people feel incredibly relieved at two things. So the optimism here is this one, we do understand the science and you can build resi resiliency. Your ability to adapt is something that you can learn and take responsibility for. And so if, you know, in these conversations, you know that you are spending more time in one platform than the other, then the ability for you to learn some self-regulating practices and as it relates to your children or your ability, you know, to let's say maybe the birth has been incredibly traumatic, your ability to meet that little system to facilitate the myelination and actually you know, counter any of those negative experiences yeah. can happen. And we, we actually know and have the science of what you could be doing 
to change that outcome for that child. So, you know, I would say that the optimism is yes, we understand it. Yes, it's more prevalent and we actually understand what you can be doing about it. So I would say, you know, that's the place where we meet people, which is it's not your fault yeah. and it's your responsibility. Um, and that's a bigger human, you know, sort of responsibility, isn't it? It's a, we are responsible yeah. for how we present in the world. Um, and understanding that it's it's not about the narrative of our childhood. It's not about the narrative of our, of our situation. It's how you're presenting right now as a byproduct of what your experience has been. So I think that that's actually a really important piece for people to understand. And then, you know, you look at, you know, whether it's, you know, like I said, sort of, you know, the muscle tone, your heart rate, um, you know, uh, how you feel about temperature, um, you know, how, you know, your ability to connect using eye, you know, it's like we, we can use all of those things clinically yeah. and we actually have other biomarkers. So we can look and use, you know, heart rate variability, which is not, you know, for those you know viewers that don't totally know what that is, we're not talking about your pulse. We're talking about what happens between your heartbeats, mm. which is controlled by the nervous system. So that's why HRV is such a beautiful biomarker to actually work with the nervous system, because it's essentially the data that's collected between your heartbeats. What's, right. what's your right. nervous system doing between those heartbeats? Is it calm? Is it not? So it's not just that high heart rate. It's what is your, you know, what is your, your nervous system doing yeah, to self-regulate? If I can just in jump in, moment, Tamara, right? for people that maybe don't understand what heart rate variability is, literally is the interbeat interval. And it's really very prescriptive in what it should look like. It should be dynamic. And it's a lot largely driven by the communication between your respiratory sinus rhythm, your heart and your brain. Yeah. And so you want to see a high degree of variability. This is indicated from decades of science, actually. It's a widely accepted measure as an overall indication of level of health. You know, lots of people have biometric wearables now, like HRV is something yeah. that many, you know, the general public is using as an indication of, hey, how's my system regulating? Like the idea of nervous system regulation is not just something that neuroscientists are throwing around. I think many, many people now are starting to look at it, you know, through rings and watches and whatever to have an indication of how am I doing today? How hard can I push myself? Should I ease up a little bit? And I, I love that because... It, it's not all up here and um, and it just opens the door for these conversations around learning that you can actually become a better regulator, but it requires practice, yeah. intention, action, and repetition. Hey guys, it's Nathan. Sorry for this brief interruption, but I got to tell you about a new offering that I'm going to be uh, making available this fall. You've heard about the Born Free Method. That's our comprehensive pregnancy and postpartum program. That includes 12 months of weekly calls, 100 plus video modules, tons of citations around pregnancy and postpartum. Well, Born Free is an umbrella under which there's going to be a lot of other courses. And the second course in this anthology is called Clear and Free, Your Solution to Persistent HPV. It's a collaborative effort between me and Mimi Linquist of the Medicine Podcast. She um, 
is a relative expert in, uh, I say relative because I don't consider anybody a full expert in anything, but Mimi has gone deep into human papillomavirus and some of the ways that we can use lifestyle to augment the immune system in hopes that your routine screening for HPV or your routine pap smears are going to come up negative and clear so you can go another three to five years and not even think about it until your next um, appointment whereby hopefully you'll screen negative again. So the typical path that many women experience of all ages in their OBGYN clinic is, hey, you're due for a pap smear and we're going to test for the HPV as well. If one of those comes back abnormal, your OBGYN is going to say, oh, darn it, it's abnormal. Why don't you come back for a repeat screening in six months or 12 months? And this process continues, right, until you end up with either a progression of abnormal cells in the cervix caught on pap smear or a persistence of human papillomavirus, meaning your body has not been able to integrate the message of this virus, right? Remember, viruses are not living things. So in the meantime, your OBGYN or your midwife or nurse practitioner hasn't given you any tools in order to help support your immune system through diet, through movement, through sleep, through stress management, through hydration, through all of those modifiable lifestyle factors so that you can be sure that if you had an HPV um, positive screen initially, that the next time it's going to be negative. Mm -hmm. Now, the other part of that conversation, of course, is, hey, I got the HPV vaccine. Aren't I safe now? Well, the problem with Gardasil 9, which is the primary vaccine that is offered to young men and women as early as age nine, has not been demonstrated to be either effective at preventing cervical cancer nor safe because of the aluminum adjuvants and everything else. So there's a lot of controversy around HPV and cervical cancer and even cervical cancer screening methods along with this vaccine. What do I do? Should I get it? Should I not get it? Should my little girls get this vaccine? And so Given the sort of swirling <laughs> pool of information and misinformation out there, I went deep as well. And Mimi and I teamed up in order to clarify for everybody out there the realities around what HPV and cervical cancer screening looks like, what can be done while you're waiting for your follow-ups in order to support your immune system to integrate the message of that virus and avoid any abnormal cells developing and hopefully avoid painful biopsies or even worse, leap procedures, cold knife comb procedures, and of course, worst case scenario, cervical cancer. There's so much that's in your power. Your doctors, your practitioners probably aren't maybe edu educated or incentivized to share all of that information, but we're going to do that through this course, as well as all of the reali realities around vaccines, especially Gardasil 9. Um, we look at data from the United States and elsewhere in the world. We speak to um, attorneys who are litigating on this topic around Gardasil 9. What you can expect from the course is around 90 lessons self-guided. And we're going to also offer monthly calls for six months after you enroll with me and Mimi, where we're going to be able to answer all of your questions and provide you with that support that perhaps you aren't getting from the healthcare professionals that you've entrusted um, your, your cervical cancer screening and your well woman care. So we get into HPV, we get into cervical cancer screening, we get into the immune system, vaccines, viruses. It's everything you've wanted to know about any of those topics. Go to the link in the show notes and you'll find your way to book an enrollment call and we'll get you enrolled right there. We're going to be enrolling in October. I hope to see you there.
You know, let me throw another metric in there that we could consider, which is, is the, the function of the immune system, which is really there to keep us safe from a variety of things, um, including, you know, cancerous cells, um, you know, persistent human papillomavirus, a lot of things in, who, you know, in, in my community, a lot of these things are very, very important, not to mention, you know, the stuff we've gone through in these past couple of years, you know, if, if we were to, um, maybe we can just talk a little bit about that. You know, what is the role of the, like when a person is stuck in dorsal vagal, are they predisposed then to some other bad things happening? Because, you know, is their immune system going to respond to this chronic stress? I kind of know the answer, so I'm not trying to feed it to you, but I do want to know how does, you know, in your research, how does that this sort of tendency for us to be stuck in either flight or fight or even in the freeze state, how is that impacting our ability to to interact in a world that's out, you know, where viruses outnumber bacteria 10 to 1? Here's what we know definitively about the different platforms and what happens with the immune system. We know that when you're in a ventral state, that's when your immune system is functioning at its best, unimpeded. You know, when we drop into sympathetic, what is supposed to happen, this is a short-term um, mobilization where all energy gets diverted basically to the limbs so that you can mobilize and go into fight or flight. In order to do that energy, you know, we drive up cortisol, we drive up adrenaline, energy gets shifted away from healing platforms. So immune system function becomes lessened. Um, and everything really is directed towards getting away from whatever the threat is. When you drop into dorsal, that gets even, it's exacerbated even more because you drop into this state where, and this happens with deep sea divers, where you drop into its basic survival. You can breathe. (laughs) Pain is severely lessened because you're, because you're in an immobilized state. You don't need all these other things going on. You just need to stay alive. So your breath continues, heart rate continues. We see this in, uh, med- in, in like, you know, um, poor just went to India to study these deep meditators who their heart rate almost stops. Their breathing almost stops. You're barely alive. So this is not a time when immune system function is bolstered. You know, in conventional medicine, there's a lot of isolation between these systems when really this is all working in an integrated way. It's the neuroendocrine immune system functioning together. And so the interrelationship is critical. And in fact, we know that the vagus is a big driver of immune function through these uh, something called the cholinergic anti-inflammatory pathway. And when vagal tone is low, inflammation is high. When vagal tone is high, inflammation is low. This is obviously right. a function of that interaction between the neuroendocrine immune. So yes, you want to be more green. You want to be dropping into those lower evolutionary states when you need to, when there's a threat present. But when there's not, you want to be in that most healing elevated place. Yeah. So of course, if we have a bunch of um, counseling from our doctors to our three and four letter organizations, to our politicians, to our friends, our community, like... (laughs) Like if you want to heal, if you want to stay healthy, it's it's critical that we're able to connect, that we're able to see one another, that we're able to be vulnerable. And when we we have different, you know, barriers to that in place, I think we end up shooting ourselves in the foot in some ways. So on the one hand, I'm not trying to make statements about COVID, but I think it was a beautiful illustration as to how <clears throat> how we're so worried about people getting sick, and yet we're we're 
were harming them maybe in indirectly you know it wasn't maybe not intentional right but if you're scaring a person about something infecting them and, and making them sick you're you're kind of you're kind of um you're kind of putting them at a like like uh they're starting a whole lap behind the rest. <laughs> I don't know well, how you're, you're <laughs> shifting from a state. You're actually, it, it, they were counterposed, right? Yeah. Public health mandates on the one hand, here we, we know that connection is a biological imperative. And then we have public health mandates that say you need to stay in isolation. Yeah. You need to not have contact with other human beings. So your nervous system is like, I need connection. And then your nervous system is also like, and there's this threat. There's a threat. So how do we, yeah. And so what happened then, everybody gets driven down into sympathetic yeah. and even further into dorsal vagal because our need for connection is actually replaced with the need for protection. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to be as, as soft-spoken here as I can, but you guys can probably guess just how hard these past couple of years for, were for me. Um, having friends remove themselves from my life, you know, yep. a lot of clinicians not being able to be with their birthing clients because of some policy at the state or federal level. Like we really, there's going to be a lot of wounding there to, to be healed, I think, and, and a lot of distrust there that needs to be healed over the next couple of years. Um, I mean, if not for the rest of our living lives, I don't know, who knows? Um well, and I generally, I, I generally am curious about all of these children that lost, you know, we just talked about the myelination and we talked about the first two years of life and to grow into and grow a healthy ventral vagal response in the world required and requires full facial ability to interpret what's happening with people. So as soon as, you know, you've got this, these, you know, new to the world little yeah. souls navigating without what we need and we know we need as humans yeah. to cue us to connect so what happens when you've got you know these little ones that were born 2020 21 22 that have spent a significant amount of time just you know disabled from their ability to relate yeah, to no human doubt. nervous system development has been compromised and there'll be many right. phd theses that will be born from probably what just happened well and you monique i mean maybe you can speak to there was a question that somebody sent you a chiropractor who um, had a patient who was a teacher and they were engaged in this conversation and and the, the question correct me if i'm wrong was aren't you seeing more wow. sympathetic children right now or aren't children's behaviors, you know, worse than they used to be. And your response was really brilliant because what you had said was, well, you're always going to pay attention to the child that's acting out sympathetically, but what about, but your bigger concern is what kids. about all the kids that are behaving yeah. themselves that are numbed out yeah. that are, that are in that dorsal vagal. Yeah. Dr. Mo, do you want right? to you know riff on that? Yeah. You know, so I think the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? This teacher was basically saying, oh, uh, you know, we're learning about polyvagal. And she's like, oh, there's way more sympathetic kids. And I'm like, you're noticing them. You're not going to notice the quiet kid in the corner who's actually at greater risk, right? If you want to be able to at least mobilize a response, if you're so stressed out and compromised that you can't mobilize, um, then you're in trouble, right? Because that's not, you're the furthest away from thriving uh, and healing and growing. 
it, you actually can get really stuck in those places. And we see it in adults too, right? Depression, hopelessness, um, this feeling of isolation. We see it in, certainly in our chronic illness community where there's just, you know, you kind of cease existing. And the good news is though, is that as we learn and understand more and more about trauma, we can give people the tools to readjust their regulation, to actually elevate their state of being and to learn to regulate better. Um, that while it's not a conscious decision to be dysregulated, you do have some control. I think the best thing that we can give our patients as clinicians are the tools and resources to promote healing themselves from the inside out. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to have uh, jumped in there, but I, I was curious, could you maybe share uh, a couple of these exercises? I've used a couple of them myself and it's, it's a pretty, like, you could try it right now if you're listening um, to the basic exercise, for example. Um, I mean, yeah. if you're, so, if you're dropping, you know, it might be hard, but. <laughs> yep. In polyvagal, there's something that's called the basic exercise. Breathwork is also something that's commonly used. You know, breathwork since the beginning of time has been used to regulate our physiology. Certainly, Nathan, you know, from a childbirth, how much do we yeah. use breath to help regulate, right? Yeah. Um, so I'll go ahead and show you the basic exercise. This comes right from Stephen Porges. So this is the basic exercise where essentially you clasp your fingers like this and you put them behind your head. And then the next stage is you, you don't turn your head. You just turn your eyes. Now we know that the eyes are directly connected to the brain. And in fact, when you have your hands, if you follow Nathan, you have your hands on the back of your head like that, you can actually feel your, the muscles in the back of your neck move. So what you do is you hold this position and then you turn your head to one side and then you wait until you breathe, till you yawn or sigh. And um, how do you know the difference between a normal in-breath and a yawn or a sigh? because that always happens like a second in breath where it's like, it's like that. Now, all I have to do now is think about this basic exercise and I start to yawn, but you do one side looking just your eyes and then you yawn and then you look to the other side again, just your eyes until you yawn. For some people trying this for the first time, you might not get a yawn. It might take two minutes. It might take even longer. Important to know that you just keep trying. You can do it seated, laying down, standing. You can do it anywhere. Um, and it's Super very simple and it, and it elevates tone because of the position and the breath and all of those things. So we can, we're not obviously not going to get into the anatomy and physiology of it today, but it can actually be measured this. You can see the shift in heart rate variability. Yeah. And, and for those who are listening, you can go to YouTube and, and then you can you buy know, Dr. Mo just, just demonstrated it. But if you aren't on the YouTube channel, go there, subscribe, do all this stuff. And you can actually see this live. And of course, if you're inspired by any of this, guys, go to pranafound.org, take the courses. It'll be the best thousand bucks that you spend, you know, in 2024. I can assure you of that. Sorry, Dr. Mack, I think you were going to say something. Yeah, I was just going to say, when you combine something like the basic exercise and you're in a place that feels safe for you, and maybe you combined a little bit of the breaths um, and the sequencing of breath that we know actually is neuroregulatory. So how long, you know, to take a breath in, to hold it, and then as long as the exhale is longer than the inhale, you combine those two things yeah. and that's training the nervous system. That's nervous system regulation. And I think sometimes there's this idea that it needs more than that. But when, you know, for your nervous system, it's on such 
a you know tender, vulnerable little space that these are things that with practice you can yeah. rely on no matter where you are. You know, no matter what totally you're doing, free. no matter what's totally happening, free. <laughs> you can totally free. You use your own physiology to actually retrain yourself and bring yourself back into yeah. a level of the other thing that's calm. really important, and this isn't, you know, I'm thinking about your audience, and that is another thing that we know is that if trauma comes in a pre-verbal, now birth in and of itself can be very traumatic, not being laid directly on the mother's skin to skin contact, traumatic, hospital births, traumatic, just by the very nature of, wow, I've just come out of this yummy, warm mm. space into this, ah, what the hell? Um, what we know is if trauma is preverbal, then the reparative exercises also are nonverbal. Mm. Mm. So these somatic strategies, this operating from the bottom up, it's why talk therapy is handy and it can help shift your thinking, but it's not going to do a lot to get your brain out of a sympathetic state. And in fact, Bessel van der Kolk, who's a, he's a medical doctor, psychiatrist. He says that the emotional brain is essentially impotent to talk or sorry the yeah the rational brain is essentially impotent to talk the emotional brain out of its reality and we know this when kids are are traumatized before they're verbal then the strategy for recovery and healing must also be nonverbal um i think it, you know it the body keeps the score do i have the yeah the, yeah the that's it that's Bessel's book it's Grabber Mate, Bessel van der Kirk. There's, there's yeah. a whole bunch of Mark Willin, I know, has a really popular book. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a really good point, Dr. Mel. Um, which is interesting because, from a medical standpoint, despite all of our degrees and our PubMed and, and all this stuff that we have access to, the best we sometimes can do when we know that a person has a traumatic, let's say just a birth experience, let alone a traumatic, um, diagnosis, heaven forbid, they've been told they have cancer or whatever. The best we can do is we say, let's get you to talk to our social worker. And the best they can do is maybe to say, let's get you to see a psychologist mm -hmm. in six months. Yeah. And maybe they'll do some talk therapy. Maybe they'll get to meet with somebody like you guys. But this is like, I'm hoping that this kind of becomes our, our, our more default way of looking at things. You can't just talk your way out of this. We have to actually. No, I would say you can't talk your way out of it at all. And in yeah. fact, until people start to really accept these principles of embodied neuroscience, which are fully, you know, they're randomized controlled trials now looking at what happens with somatic healing when we go from a bottom up right. perspective, right? That we have quicker access to that emotional part of the brain. We actually, when we work somatically through the body and not, you know, verbally through the top down, you actually reduce output of the amygdala, that smoke detector in the brain. You improve function of the insula and the anterior cingulate cortex that are responsible for navigating, it's like helping your brain understand, no, actually there's not a threat. You improve function of the hippocampus, which is the memory center, right? This is a big problem people that have PTSD is that they don't know what's, what's, is this happening now? Did it happen before? So we improve all of these functions because we're not trying to convince the right. prefrontal cortex that, Hey, everything is okay. Because when we need, to be speaking, <laughs> we need to be speaking to the limbic system, we need to be speaking to the survival centers in the brainstem that doesn't happen with words. It happens with actions. Yeah. I think that's the opportunity, you know, of the last three years is that 
we recognize that we are not responding to our world in this in the way that we were pre 2020, you know, um, and we all sort of have had a different reaction to it. Well, that makes sense yeah. because our life experience is what we have depended on to interpret what was happening. Um, and so that is all individual. And I think the opportunity right now is that the neuroscience now is, is you know, sort of tells us how much more we can be doing outside of what was conventional therapy yeah. for blah, blah, blah. It's like, now we know it's like, okay, well, you know, you can take whatever intervention you choose and you still have to take responsibility yeah. to improve your own outcomes. And part of that is going to be nervous system regulation. It has to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, gosh, you know, I, I could come up with, I've got like 10 more questions that have come to me since we started here, but I think uh, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, Man, I hope people go to pranafound.org and check you guys out. Uh, you've got your applied polyvagal program, you've got your trauma-informed program, and your polyvagal kids. Do you have others there that I'm forgetting? I know those are the Yeah, there's a couple ones. of other programs there. There's one called Nervous System Bomb, which basically is a, it's a two-hour workshop where we train people how to calm their nervous system. Uh, that's nervous system bomb, bomb like lip bomb, not bomb as in explode. Uh, <laughs> a funnel cloud. I've also yeah. just done another one. It's only an hour. It's called biohack the brain. And essentially it's for people who are experiencing a lot of anxiety, biohackthebrain.com. And people can learn some very simple strategies to calm their mind and their body. Here's the thing. I think it, the best thing you can ever give somebody is to empower them with tools to create the change themselves. These yeah. are tools that you can take away for a lifetime. It's not something that you do once though. Like I think we need to understand that, you know, this is a constant, as long as you're alive, you can be feeding input back to your nervous system. And what a beautiful thing that you can do that yourself, that you can heal yourself, that you can Somehow. regulate yourself. Yeah. It's not a matter of shame and blame. I, I think people are so stuck in this victim mentality like this is empowering. This is an opportunity for you to yeah. take some control when you've outsourced everything, maybe your whole life right now, just start doing these little practices and then follow up with you guys. You know, Dr. Mo and Dr. McIntyre are, are uh, Dr. Mac, sorry, you, they're available on Instagram. Um, you can find them at pranafound.org. And you guys have a brand new platform. Do you guys want to, um, Dr. Mac, you want to start talking about that a little bit? And we'll, uh, then we can wrap it up unless you guys have more. Yeah, I'd love to share. Yeah, no, I'd love to share. Um, you know, in keeping with today's conversation, there's a lot of people that need a lot more from their care providers. And so there is a level of, you know, not everybody can head to Costa Rica for a retreat. And those that are chronically ill, um, a lot of their, you know, their money is being spent in trying to seek out care. And so what we've created is an online platform to teach people mindful and embodied practices that we know improve resilience. And so it's, you know, we've collected thought leaders, we've, you know, authors and content contributors who have and really curated an opportunity for people from their own home with chronic illness or maybe somebody that's been given a life-changing diagnosis to have a place to go to continue their own healing and improve their outcomes because we know when people can adapt yeah. and they're more resilient, they heal. 
And the reality is that the chronic illness, um, you know, the, the number of people suffering with chronic illness just continually, yeah. incrementally is growing. We know that the population is changing, that we will have more people over the age of 65 than under the age of 18 by 2025. And so our new platform is really about making these things accessible to everyone and specifically those with chronic illness that are really um affordable rate so that it really is about yeah. making in it fact, accessible. In uh, fact, if you go to letscope.org, you can get a 21 days free membership, everybody uh, that's available to everyone. And, and really our, we created it. Our sole purpose is to ease the path for those who are struggling with chronic illness or a life uh, changing diagnosis. Amazing. Please check it out. Yeah, please. I, I can't, I am not bringing you guys on because I want to, get like a 20% commission on whatever sale. Like I have no affiliation on intentionally because I want people to realize just how important this work is. Go to letscope.org guys. These are some of the, and at pranafound.org is where I've taken three of your programs. I guess I got to, you know, ante up here and take the others, but um, I can't recommend it enough. It is, it is really a great sort of reimagining of the foundational things that I think many of us practitioners have taken for granted. I mean, many of us fathers, partners, I mean, we could apply everything here to our real personal relationships. You know, like if your partners, you, you guys aren't fighting anymore and you're in separate rooms, sleeping in different rooms, maybe you're both stuck in this freeze space and you don't know how to reconnect. You got to feel safe with one another. You got to feel vulnerable with one another in order for that connection to take place. So this is, through and through, this is like human stuff. This is human work. So um, I am very, very happy that you guys were able to spend some time with me today. Um, we will send everybody your way. And um, and I just thank you. And I love your work. Thank you. Thanks, Nathan. It's a real pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in another amazing episode of the Holistic Abidjan podcast. Under wraps, if you want to find me, Nathan Riley, I'm the host. I am an MD. I'm a fellow of ACOG, meaning I'm a board-certified Abidjan. I'm also a board-certified hospice and palliative care physician. You can find all of my services and products at BelovedHolistics.com, including an online shop with discount codes for all of the brands that are at the top of their category, from water and hydration to supplements to um, courses. I mean, there's so much there. So go check that out. I also offer private consultation. You can buy packages. I'm also, um, of course, the PRP fertility program is open to all comers. You can find all of that at belovedholistics.com. If you're a midwife and you need collaboration from a physician, I got you. Go to Beloved Holistics. You'll find everything there. If you guys are enjoying the podcast, please support the sponsors. If you haven't left a five-star review, please go do that. It really, really means a lot. And lastly, if something in this episode touched you, share it with somebody that you love. I'm sure that they're going to love it too. We'll see you next week right back here on the Holistic OBGYN podcast. Take care and do no harm. Take no shit. Bye-bye, everybody.